But yeah, let's, let's seek God first. Dear Father in heaven, uh, you've blessed us so much already today. Uh, you've blessed us with rain, you've blessed us with uh, sunshine, you've blessed us with uh, being able to come here to a, to a place, to gather together, fellowship with one another, to fellowship with you. Uh, you've blessed us with the Sabbath school, uh, the, the mission stories in the Sabbath school, the prayers, the songs. Lord, they are just the things that we see that you've blessed us with. But Lord, as it was said, you're like the wind, things that we do not often see um, you still have a, an effect on. And Lord, we thank you for all of the blessings that we do not recognize and we do not see as well. Lord, as we open your word today, we pray for your presence to be in our heart with your Holy Spirit. And I pray that each person opens the doors of their heart to you and not just partly open them because sometimes it's easy for us to partly open our doors and go, Lord, you can have access to this room in our heart, but keep other rooms closed. Lord, we want to fully open the doors to our hearts because you already know what's in our heart. And Lord, as we, as we journey through Scripture, specifically Psalms today, just journey with us with your Holy Spirit, guiding us, encouraging us, and ultimately healing us from the wounds that are, that are on our heart. Lord, I also pray for myself as I speak that you take away any of myself, that you only present who you are as God and any distractions, you, you are the focus. Remove any distractions from all of us. We pray this in your loving, blessed name, Jesus, amen. I want you to open with me to Psalms 139. So if you've got your Bibles with you, Psalms 139. And we're going to have a look at something quite fascinating today. Um, but before I do, I'm going to ask you a very deep theological question. Um, and Mike called me cerebral this morning. Is that the correct word, Mike? Not all the time. He said, I like to go deep. So I'm going to ask you a very deep theological question today. What is your favorite baby part? Oh, we had cheeks. Who, somebody else said something? Favorite baby part, okay? A baby, hands and toes. They're really cute, aren't they? Like the hands and the toes of a baby. Anyone else? Chubby legs. <laughs> Alicia likes the chubby legs. Okay. The, the, the eyes, the smiling eyes. Uh, sorry, just back to Alicia's. Is that because they'll be good at squats later on? Like chubby legs. <laughs> um, any, uh, anyone else? I thought, I thought everyone would have loved baby parts. Come on. <laughs> There's hard... Sorry, Pat. The face, their, their cute little soft skin of their face. Anything else? Anyone brave enough to say? Sorry, Carl. They look like really good. When adults have no teeth, it's not so good, but when babies have no teeth, it's quite cute. <laughs> Is anyone brave enough to say they like the baby bottom? <laughs> all the way at the back. The baby bottom can be quite cute, can't it? 
Um, so, um, the belly, the hands, the, it's all really cute, but I'll, I'll be um, with Mike on this one. I reckon the eyes are the most gorgeous things. And a fun fact about the eyes is that they stay the same size all the way through life. Your eyes do not change in, in, uh, in their circumference. Um, babies come into the world not really understanding much, do they? So they come into the world and they, they don't grasp things like, you know, words or sentences or paragraphs or things that, you know, we today take for granted. Um, but babies come into the world and they look up with their big, beautiful eyes at the world around them and they basically just start scanning data. Like, they're just like, like, like scanning things. They're just receiving information into their, into their brain. Um, they're receiving things that we often don't even think that they're receiving, like relational or emotional data, um, and that begins to shape them. It begins to shape their personalities and behaviours and things like that. And even though they don't necessarily have a vocabulary, like they can't put things like, oh, that person's angry or that person's happy or things like that to any of the, you know, the emotions that they're receiving or the things that they're receiving, they're still reading what's going on. We all know this, right? And a baby can come into the world into arms that receive them with angry arms. They can come into the world with somebody who has angry arms or tension of a father and a mother, and they'll read this tension, this language, this demeanor from their parents in their tone of voice, and the baby's personality will be molded from that. Do you agree? The Bible calls it, is it going to work for me? Yes. The Bible calls it becoming. We all go through from babies up to adults a becoming stage. And I don't believe we ever stop becoming. We begin immediately to morph and to move and develop in various different types of ways. And if we're surrounded with anger or hatred or tension in emotional ways, we begin to develop things like insecurities as human beings. And possibly many of you can relate to that. We begin to feel that the anger around us is directed at us, even if it's not. We begin to feel certain ways within the first three years of our life, we begin to feel things and and process emotions that when we turn 13, 14 and 15, they begin to start manifesting themselves or showing themselves through our character. Now, a lot of us don't understand the connection between what we experience when we're, you know, one, two, three years old, all the way up to 15, 20, 25, and onward. We don't understand it quite often. But if we could see, if we could understand what's happening to us, we would know that the, the insecurities that we have, that we manifest, for example, for example, if, if, um, if in, a, in developing a relationship or a friendship with somebody, we might find uh, it difficult to, v- to develop these friendships because we interpret things that the person is doing as having reference in ourselves even when they meant nothing by it. So we might see somebody do something that we go, oh, that's nasty to me. But the person could be, I didn't mean anything by it. I wasn't being nefarious. I wasn't trying to hurt you in any way. 
So we're easily hurt or easily offended because we're reading into somebody's innocent actions that really there's nothing there at all. But there's a reason why we're reading into those things. There's a reason why that traces back to our earliest development stages as being a, a phases of being human beings. So according to the Bible, and I've asked you to turn to Psalms 139, David writes a psalm here, a very fascinating psalm. The fact is that God is intimately involved with him, David, and us as an individual and with all of us God wants to be involved, and we'll see how he's involved in Psalms 139, verses 1 through to, 1 through to 3. So Psalms 139, verses 1 through to 3, it says this. It says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with how many of my ways? All of my ways. David isn't talking literally about a geographical path. Like, he's not saying, you know, from my place to the local Coles supermarket. He's talking, it's, it's, a, it's not like, um, you know, just a physical journey. It's talking about the thinking or feeling process and our consciousness, the ways of our mind. And what's interesting is using the same analogy of a geographical path, like if you have a grassy area, and let's say it is between your place and the local Coles or IGA or Woolworths, whichever you prefer to go to, um, You'll walk that path, and the first time you walk that path, what happens to the grass? It gets pushed down. And if you walk the same path each day, let's say for a year, 365 days, what then happens to the grass? Eventually, at one stage, it'll be worn out, or it'll be you know, the grass might even die and you'll get dirt path, a, compress, a compression of dirt, and then you might get a path that's there. And the same thing happens in our minds, in our heads of our neural pathways, an interaction that occurs in something called the limbic system. And I did my research from last week, so don't worry, I've got a picture of it. There you go. There's the limbic system. The limbic system, which is located here, that greenish area, and the lim limbic system is actually a storage area, almost like a computer hard drive, okay? So, so literally everything that you've ever experienced, ever heard, ever, ever seen, ever tasted, ever smelt, is located and recorded in your limbic system. Even though you can't recall a lot of these memories, they're right there. Your entire history is recorded in that area of your brain. The time somebody looked at you when you were laying in the, in the crib as a baby and smiled at you is stored there. The first time you ever heard angry words and were frightened by them is stored there. And as this storage builds up, you begin to form habits and patterns or pathways and they initiate, they're initiated by thoughts and feelings that are deeply embedded in your brain. 
And through this chemical and electro, electric reactions that are taking place in your mind, so that we end up to set up these neural signatures or neural pathways that are essentially your identity. The neural signatures or neurosignatures that are developed by patterns or thought of, of thoughts, feelings and behaviour form our identities or essentially form our characters. And this is where either the character of Jesus starts to be manifested and take its shape and we begin to instinctively, spontaneously think and feel and behave and react and, and relate to others the way Jesus would or we begin to think and feel and behave and react and relate according to another set of neurosignatures, deeply embedded inside our minds. But let's go back to Psalms 139. David, and we've just read it, he essentially says this, he says, God literally knows me inside and out. He knows my thoughts, he knows when I sit down, he knows when I rise up, he knows my paths, he knows my ways, he knows every pattern and thought and emotion and action and reaction that's ever developed in me from birth to onward. He knows everything that makes me the peculiar and particular, uniquely person that I am today. He knows everything. Let's see where David wants to go with this. Let's jump down to verse 13. Verse 13 is quite profound and David says, for you, still talking about God, formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. So if I was to ask you the question, was God involved at the womb stage of your development, what is the answer? Absolutely. According to that verse, absolutely. Now, what is God doing at the womb stage of that development? Well, the Bible says that he formed our inward parts. The Hebrew word for inward parts here is translated in the NIV, if you've got the NIV version, it says, you formed my inmost being. And so I'm going to give you a bit of a, I'm going to share with you a bit of an anatomy here, right? Here's a circle. Some of us look a bit more like the circle than others. Um, I'll put my hand up for that one. Now, this circle re represents your body, right? The physical part of who you are. Now, I've got five arrows there that point towards the circle. What do you think they might be? Any takers? Sorry? Sorry, too? It's all right if you're wrong. Sorry? No, but good, good thinking, yes? Bones, veins, and arteries? No. Pat? The senses. Yeah, they're the senses. So your body is there and you have things that come into the body and they come into the body through your senses. And so what are the five senses? I'm just getting mumbles. <laughs> but maybe that was, that's my fault for asking the question to everyone. So you see things, you hear things, you taste things, you touch things, and what's the last one? You smell things, okay? So the reason why they all point inward is because, it, and to use the language of Ellen White, she says they're avenues to the soul. 
okay? These are the channels that outside influences gain access to yours and my inmost being, all right? So that everything I see or everything that I hear or everything that I touch, smell, taste or experience, it gives me some sort of sensation in my being, and this outside influence, this outside where, that comes through the avenues of the soul is shaping me bit and shaping you bit by bit. This influence can be either a positive thing or it could be a negative thing. And so someone comes up to shake my hand, like I'm not recommending this due to COVID-19 guidelines, but if somebody comes up to hug me, like my wife is able to, and says, oh, it's great to see you back here, home again, Cameron's safe, blah, blah, blah. I feel really good. But then somebody yells at me and goes, Cameron, you're an idiot. I feel a different way. And that comes through these avenues to my inmost being. And, and as a result, it's either my insecurities are deepened or my sense of security is grown. And this happens uh, with everything in life, everything that you experience. Even right now, as you're experiencing today, it's either positive or it's negative. Now, we, we have to look at the body. Like, now that we've looked at the body, let's go a bit deeper inside the body and let's make another circle, okay? I've drawn it quite big and maybe some of your brains are quite big, okay? Um, but this is the brain, right? Is the brain a physical thing? Yes, absolutely. You can, hopefully after you're dead, they can take your brain out and it's a physical thing, right? It's, and, and we have, like I mentioned before last week about the frontal lobe, okay? So I had to correct something. It's not the limbic system that sits in your frontal lobe, but your frontal lobe, where you make all your choices and things like that, is actually in direct connection with your limbic system. Okay? So the frontal lobe is where you do your uh, rational processing. So like mathematics, like 2 plus 2 equals... That was your frontal lobe. <laughs> so I'm like, what? Hang on, slow down. <laughs> We understand cause and effect, actually, from our frontal lobe. So, like, uh, action to reaction, we understand that from our frontal lobe. It's also the seat of our will, okay, the power of choice. So, I could have, uh, as I woke up this morning and I put my arm out of the blanket to feel how cool the air was, I could have gone, ah, that's too cold, I'm staying in here. And that would have affected church today. <laughs> so, I had that choice, or I could have and I made the choice to get up, nope, I'm going to have a really warm shower, okay, and come, and come to church. And that happens in the frontal lobe, and the frontal lobe, they, they communicate directly to one another. The limbic system and the frontal lobe communicate directly to each other. And so what happens is your, as the choices that you make in your frontal lobe are actually passed through your limbic system or the history that's stored in your limbic system. And so the reality is that I just happened to be raised by a pair of great parents, okay? And they helped me in my development journey uh, to become sensitive to others. 
But simultaneously, as I was growing up, I had friends at school who weren't the nicest. And they would encourage fights, they would take advantage of people, they would encourage hatred towards anyone else who was different from them, and that resulted in, in, in their own, up, and that was actually a result from their own upbringing in their own families of parents who might have been abusive, or single parents, or struggling parents, and things like that. Now, I could have followed either path, but a significant event occurred in my life And this event was a study into the Bible and a reintroduction to a God of the universe. And not only that, I discovered that the God of the universe was actually a good God. And my brain began to process this information, this data, and it steered me in a different direction. It steered me away from the influence that my friends at school had on me of being selfish, abusive, harmful, harmful desires to others, of the path that I could have walked, and rather it steered me to a path to be sensitive towards others, to be compassionate and love. And I'm not going to say that I'm perfect, but I thank God that He was able to have that influence on me. And I've been walking this certain path a certain way since that time. Now I'm going to put another circle. This isn't physical. You cannot remove this, you can't touch it. This is what Ephesians calls the mind, the spirit in Psalms, or more essentially in Matthew 10, 28, uh, it's referred to as the soul, or translated from the Hebrew word, uh, sorry, the Greek word, psyche. Okay? There is something more to you and I than the physical aspect of our bodies or the physical aspect of our brain. There's something more to you and I. Let's say, and, and, I'll, and I'll give you an analogy of this. Let's say you have a really bad week. And on Monday, you need a kidney transplant. Okay? You need a kidney transplant and somebody, let's say, in Midland dies, and they're an organ donor, and the doctors, they harvest the kidney, and they bring it over to you in, in hospital, let's say you're at John Gardner, or whatever, or, what, sorry, not John Gardner, uh, St. John of God, and they give you that, they transplant that kidney into you, are you still the same person? Absolutely. But then on Tuesday, you have a heart attack, and you need a new heart. <laughs> it's a rough week. And let's say a gentleman by the name of Frank has, has his heart harvested, he passes away, has his heart par- harvested, and they run it across town to St. John of God where you are, and they put it in your body. Are you still the same person? Absolutely, they do that. Now they do heart transplants. But on Wednesday, <laughs> Wednesday, you have an accident and your hand is chopped off. Okay? 
There has been a number of successful hand transplant, and it works, okay? They reattach the tendons, they reattach the blood vessels, all this sort of stuff, and it works, okay? So let's say somebody in Carnot Prison passes away, and they chop off that person's hand, and they bring it to you in St. John of God, and they attach that prisoner's hand to your body, and it works fine, okay, and it, might, and it starts to function, and you look down at your hand, and maybe there's a tattoo on there saying, I love Rachel, Okay. Do you know who Rachel is? No. And maybe there's some scars or something like that on that hand. You don't know how those scars got there. You just know that you now have somebody else's hand. Let's call him Barry. You have Barry's hand and you go, thanks, Barry. And then on Thursday... This is the same week, and as Greg said, it's a really bad week, okay? Thursday, your face falls off, okay? And on Thursday, your face falls off, and you need a face transplant because you've been in a horrible accident or whatever it is, and, and, and what's interesting is about, the, they actually do face transplants now. Um, the first one happened in France, and a woman died, and her face was surgically removed very carefully, and they ran it across to a hospital where they put it on a lady who was horribly injured in a, in a car accident, and, and uh, they carefully removed her damaged face and put this, this new face on her, um, and it was as good as new. Well, you know, like... <laughs> But, the, but it was a, a, a success. It was a success, okay? And let's say you have an accident and they do this and now you have someone else's face. Are you still you? <laughs> Somebody, people might not recognize you, but you are still you, aren't you? Like inside, you're your character, you're your person, even though you might have somebody else's face on you. And what's interesting is when this happened, the, the, the French uh, public got outraged because the person who had the face transplant started smoking and people saw this and they're like, how dare you smoke with this person's face? So you have all of these new parts, but you're still the same person, aren't you? And then the day comes when you finally die. Hopefully it's not that week, because that would be the culmination of the worst week. But the day comes when you die, and when you die, according to Scripture, your physical body decomposes. So your body, your brain, it decomposes, because the Bible says... Dust thou art, to dust thou will return. And Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7 says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Now what does that mean? Well, it means that someday when you die, God preserves your personal identity. So the resurrection, you get a brand new body, as we're told, Paul says that he looks forward to this time where he puts off this old tent and moves into a new tent. Or Ellen White says, the body is the house in which we live. How is it possible for me to die and decompose and then God give me a brand new body, a glorified body, and still be the same person? Well, that's a good question for God. Because there is more to you and me than meets the eye. 
There's more to you and me than what we can physically see or physically touch or scan or whatever it is. Now, just to clarify, we know that when, when the Spirit returns to God, it doesn't return in any conscious form, okay? So Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 says, the dead know nothing, okay? So when our Spirit returns to God, we don't know anything, we're not experiencing anything, it just returns to God. Essentially, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's how Adam was made, okay? Adam was made of the dust of the ground, the physical aspect, the body, the brain, all that sort of stuff, and then God breathed in him the breath of life. And so you and I are made up of two things, dirt and breath. And when the breath leaves us, it goes back to God, because he is the life giver, and our body dissolves or deteriorates. But nevertheless, God preserves your identity. Ellen White says that God preserves the character, the identity, the individuality, and then she says something fascinating. She says, come the resurrection, friend will know friend. And that's really hard for me to accept because my nana passed away at 98 years old. And according to Ellen White, come the resurrection, I will look across, hopefully I'll look across, the sea or the crowd of people and I will recognise my nana. And she will recognise me. Even though since she's passed away, I've changed, I've developed, I've grown, I'm different. Now what's happening here in Psalms 139 is that David wants us to understand that God is involved with us from the womb straight through life. But let's have a look at the end of Psalms 139. So just to re-emphasize, God knows my thoughts, God knows my path, He knows my ways, He knows when I stand up, when I sit down, every time I wake up in the morning, God knows that, God's eyes are on me, perfectly aware. When I cracked a smile this morning and said hello to somebody here at church, He saw that and when I felt uncomfortable and stressed out as I was sitting there before I had to get up here, He saw that. He was aware. And that's the first four verses of of, uh, uh, Psalms 139. And then in verse 13, we understand that God is involved at the very earliest stage of my being, at the womb stage in developing. And then life happens to us, right? Life happens and life unfolds. And, And Psalms 139, 23 to 24, David has experienced some life at this stage and he wants to share this with us. He says this, Psalms 139, verses 23 to 24. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. He's employing the same language that he used at the start, the paths and the ways, and he says, God, I want you to search me. I want you to know my ways. I want you to see my every wicked and perverse and twisted way in me and rectify them. Lead me in the way, the singular way. It's very fascinating that later on in Acts, people who follow Jesus are considered followers of the way. Lead me in the way, singular, of Jesus Christ. Lead me in the way everlasting. And so life has happened to David and life has happened to you and I. But how does it happen? 
Let's turn to Isaiah. Isaiah 1, chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Here, God makes a diagnostic statement about the human condition. So he talks about Judah, but he's also talking about us. He says this, and I'll just read the pertinent parts here. It says, the whole head is sick. There is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. That's why I used the terminology last week of we receive wounds. It's not a statement about our physical condition. He's not talking about your body or your brain. He's talking about the the psychological, emotional, spiritual condition. God says in so many words, uh, he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, you're sick in the head. We're all on the edge of psychological, emotional and spiritual implosion and under the weight of our own shame, our own guilt as human beings. And it's only by God's grace that he sustains us. That we have any degree of sanity. And so the Bible says that we have wounds. And I mentioned last week that we receive two types of wounds. What were those two types of wounds? Does anyone remember? Wounds of violation and wounds of vacancy. What are the wounds of violation? Things that shouldn't have been done to you that were done to you. And wounds of vacancy, Alicia? Exactly. Things that weren't done to you that should have been done to you. But there's good news coming. Speaking locally to Israel, but globally to us in Jeremiah 17, verse 1, God says this Jeremiah 17, verse 1. He says, the sins of Judah are, are written, or is written, with a pen of iron, with the point of a diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart. So sin writes itself on us, writes itself inside of us, with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. Inside of us, in our psyche, in our mind, in our heart, sin has written things. Sin records things on our hearts and in our mind. It shapes you and me. It tweaks us by tweak. Bends us by bend, we are all shaped by our experience that we've had. And the secret to our healing, the secret to our healing though, is to be perfectly known and perfectly loved. To be perfectly known and perfectly loved simultaneously, which is the process by which Jesus saves all of us. Jesus says to you, he says to me, he said to David, he says, I know literally everything there is to know about you, but I still love you. I was talking about relationships with my friends at Avondale College after church one day, and the topic came up of what do we need to do to stay married? You know, divorce rates are like 50-odd percent, like even in the Christian churches, They're really high up there, divorce rates. What do we do to prevent being divorced, prevent separation? 
And we're discussing this at length and this little old lady comes up at Avondale College and she goes, I've overheard what you guys have said and you got it all wrong. And we're like, okay. (laughs) Tell us, oh wise sage. (laughs) She says, I've got some advice that it's five parts. Simple, even you guys can understand. And we're like, all right. She goes, give, 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 forgive. That's how you stay married. It's the same way, but on a much grander scale that Jesus saves the human soul. He is saying every step of the way, every journey, every day that you live, I know everything there is to know about you and I still love you. Remember that sin writes itself inside of us, it shapes us, but there's a thing, come, come Psalms 51 verse 1 to 2 and verse 12, when we come to our senses, when we understand that we're fully known, we can turn to God as David did after he had done such a heinous thing as the, as the situation between him and Bathsheba and Uriah, we can say as well that David, like David said, we can say this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me from the things that have been written on my heart. And then verse 12 says, restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. You and I need to feel the warm embrace of a God and his mingling of grace and truth in our hearts. And hear those words in the very depths of our soul, in the very depths of our psyche, I know everything there is to know about you. And I still love you. And I still want to draw you with my loving kindness. You and I need to experience the healing, cleansing power of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we close this evening, we just thank you for the truth about who you are as our God, that you know everything there is to know about each of us. Lord, you know even more about us than we know about ourselves. You know those things that we've chosen to forget about. You know those things that we've blotted out of our memory. You know the sins that are written on our hearts, the things that we've done that cause us to hurt ourselves and hurt others. But Lord, you say that we're fully known and also fully loved. And through that knowledge, you draw us closer to you. That, Lord, you start healing us. And that's what, that's what salvation is all about. Salvation, we often think, is just a saving from our sins. But, Lord, a saving from our sins. Salvation means a being made whole. Being renewed, being restored, being made whole again. And we all need that. And so, Lord, as we partake this journey of being healed by your knowledge and your love, we pray that we respond in kind and strive to get to know you more 
and love you more. Lord, I pray you're with each person here and those who are unable to make it, I pray that you're with them as well. And Lord, I pray that we continue to share who you are as our God and the awesomeness that that is to anyone that we encounter. And maybe that's through words, but more precisely, Lord, that's through our actions, the way we can love others, similar to the way you love us. So, Lord, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to continue with us, continue guiding us, continue encouraging us. We pray all this in your wonderful, blessed name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Cameron. Just a few quick announcements at the end of the service today. Just remember on your way out, use some of the sanitizer on your hands that's provided. If you haven't checked in, uh, if you could just leave your name and contact details out in the foyer there so that if there's any need for contact tracing, we can do that. It's been wonderful to have you uh, all come here and worship with us today. It's, uh, it's been a real pleasure. A uh, couple of other quick announcements. Um, each Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock, there's a prayer meeting here. Uh, also, as part of the prayer meeting, um, there's a prayer list that goes out. And if you're not getting that prayer list, it just, uh, it's just some of the people that the church are praying for. Uh, if you talk to Steve, because he sends that, that out, he, I'm sure he could add you to the list. Is that okay, Steve? Yep, or David? Oh, Annette, okay. So I've been giving the wrong person. I get the, the emails from Steve and I think, what a wonderful job Steve's doing. <laughs> oh, okay. Yep, so as long as you get added to that, you'll get that. Uh, that email that has the prayer list on it and David's been doing an excellent uh, letter, prayer letter and he was doing it every week but now he's going to do it once a month is that right David? But it's been uh, truly inspirational he's done an excellent job with that um, The only other thing, uh, there is a, uh, a newsletter out in the foyer just so you can keep in touch with what the church is doing uh, We have a sort of a, a youth uh, church next week, it's only sort of a youth church but uh, we'd love you to be here to support them uh, in the, the uh, presentation that they're doing and, and Cam as he's uh, preaching again. Thank you all for attending. Uh, have a good week. Oh, and one last thing. Um, on Monday this week, my brother had uh, an accident. Um, he got hit in the eye with some fencing wire and at the moment it looks like he may lose his sight. But they've got uh, this... Over the next 12 months, he's got surgeons and people who will be doing work with his eye to try and re return some sight to him. So if you could include him in your prayers, that would be really appreciated. Thank you, everyone. Hope to see you next week. His name's Peter. He's my little brother. He's about this tall. And accident prone.